politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight imminently and urgently the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, today, Friday, the 12th of May. And we don't have time for garbage. We don't have time to play around. Uh, Things are very much in flux at the border. We have an invasion going on. And we don't have a political system that recognizes it. We have a Republican Party, a conservative movement that focuses exclusively on building a brand and not building a country, building liberty, building an oasis of freedom and security for ourselves and our posterior. That is really uh, our job here, and we're going to keep doing that. So I want to give a little bit of a long view today on the origins of this invasion the weaponization of migration. Everything is weaponized against us. The criminal justice system is weaponized. As we see, they release violent criminals and then use the justice system to go after our people when their violent criminals inevitably attack us. So obviously you have the story of, of Daniel Penny, you had, uh, Daniel Perry in Texas sentenced to 25 years for defending himself against BLM. Now you have this Marine on the New York subway being charged with second-degree manslaughter uh, for the death of that animal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is where we're headed. This is why we need a sense of urgency. We don't have much time left. Because remember, if you live in these areas, it's almost inevitable you're going to be confronted with them. Either you get beaten up, no one does anything, or if you do something, this is what's going to happen to you. So we have, like I said, the invasion internally and the invasion externally. But in order to understand why the migration is not natural, it's weaponized, just understand that every other social, societal, economic ill is also weaponized, like we saw with the biomedical security state. And it's also interesting that COVID and the border are similar in that there are two inflection points that I hoped we'd avoid, but once we'd have to suffer them, at least that would create that cathartic moment where we'd be united, we'd do something. I'm not seeing that. Now, there's some good signs with with Greg Abbott finally giving into our pressure at the border, Um, but broadly speaking, we don't have a unified voice from all the governors saying we're going to send our National Guardsmen there, our law enforcement there, we're going to pass interior enforcement. You're not welcome here. Hold high-profile press conferences. No. I don't know what it will take. But it's similar to COVID where, you know, they're already out there poisoning us. I'm going to have an article out on RSV. Those RSV shots are going out and uh doesn't matter. They're already doing it again before we can even utter the words never again. And by the way, speaking of vaccines, Increasingly, we're all concerned about garbage, hormones, and inflammation in our food. And it's especially problematic the fact that, just like with healthcare, the government used the farm bills over the years to box out small independent farmers and create a cartel. And of course, it's always owned by China, especially when it comes to pork production. That's why I need you guys to help yourself, help the show and help keep American farming going by signing up for a moink box every month. What's in a moink box? Well, 
It's the best grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, a monthly assortment you could pick out uh, sent to your door every single month if you go to moinkbox.com slash conservative. And then if you sign up, listeners right now, uh, they, they have a new offer to give free bacon in your first box. It's the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, again, um, you get to choose from ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops, salmon fillets, all with the understanding that it is truly, truly natural um, this is the thing. I mean, we now know that meat and chicken is the way to go. All those lies about cholesterol are so, such BS. Uh, that's why they want to take away uh, your protein, just like they want to take away your cars. But remember, a lot of the meat that is sold is full of garbage. So that's the thing. Go to moinkbox.com, get oinked with moink, M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash conservative, moinkbox.com slash conservative, free bacon for your first month. So... Just to update you guys on the border, on the one hand, there is some evidence that finally uh, Texas National Guard, DPS, are moving people to the other side of the border, the Mexican side of the border. Hopefully it's not just a photo op and it's durable. And I'm not here. I don't want to have to criticize Greg Abbott. I don't have anything against him. I want to be able to say, job well done, keep it up. So that's good. But again, we need to build on that. We need... The other Republican states need to send him more resources. They need to pass interior enforcement. And yes, Greg Abbott needs to demand HB 20 get passed, making it a felony to trespass on the state and building this border security deportation force. Um, I just don't like it. I mean, every day I'm looking out, every day around the time I record the show, there's not a single day recently that Ron DeSantis has not had a press conference giving voice to a particular issue. And that's what Greg Abbott needs to do. He needs to demand passage of some sort of bill. It's it's bizarre that they only meet every other year in the legislature. You have the biggest crisis ever at their border, and we're not getting any bills passed. So, you know, obviously the governor is not quite as strong in Texas. Lieutenant governor has a lot of influence over the Senate, but still, I mean, you are the governor... Give voice to it, but at least there is some sort of a start there. Um, a border agent told me he's he's uh, on the river. He usually patrols the river in the Rio Grande Valley. We weren't even allowed to go down to the river last night. The current mission of Border Patrol is no longer about security. It's about migrant care and migration management. So this is what I've been noting all along. Any call to fund more DHS, border agents, assets, you're just actually helping this. I would rather create an inflection point and have a chaotic invasion than a meticulous, methodical invasion, which is what they're doing. I'd rather, I, I want to make people feel the pain if they can't see the light without the pain. So either do what you should be doing or let it roam free. What DHS accomplishes is to make it as manageable as possible while making sure everyone flows in. Now, there is some good news that there was a temporary injunction put on for two weeks by a federal judge in a state that I can't mention because you're not allowed to talk about successful results and actions spearheaded by an individual because it might insult um, you know, the big man. But of that notorious state that's a peninsula, um, always seems to be <laughs> leading on whatever issue is, is at hand um, because... 
It's actually about more than just talk and rhetoric for once in, in 50 years in Republican politics. Actually about doing, uh, did successfully spearhead an injunction against catch and release. So now I can't guarantee you that they'll listen, and, and it's very much in flux. I'm trying to get information, what is and isn't happening. So again, the, the judge didn't say you have to keep Title 42, but it staunches the results of title of, of repeal of Title 42, which is that, okay, well, we're not, we're not going to turn them back. So what the judge is saying, well, if you're not going to turn them back, you have to hold them. Well, they say, we, we don't have people. We don't have enough space. Well, it doesn't matter. You can't release them. So if you don't have enough space, then go return them. But releasing them into the country is not an option. Will they listen? Well, you know, unlike Trump, who even when he had the law on his side, they would rush to abide by every court order even before they needed to. You know, the, the left doesn't listen to the court, so who knows? We'll see what happens with that. Um, but anyway, states need to activate their National Guards to deal with this and remove the aliens at the border. I also think Texas should create a citizens unit. I think that would be a great, great thing, especially with um, retired law enforcement and military. Um, give some training you know, and 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 if it's expensive, just give a stipend to to pay for expenses. I guarantee you, so many patriotic Texans would be willing to do that without a salary. You know, you could create shifts. People could cycle in and out. I think that's a way to marshal manpower on the cheap by harnessing patriotism. That's an idea I would like to see, and again, it would give rise to this sheriff's posse idea I've been pushing for so long. Um, of bringing in our people into the color of law, uh, enforcing the Constitution in our own right rather than relying on those that subvert it, and then building the potential, um, shall I say, infrastructure in the future for ultimately what does need to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, in general, from every other Republican governor and from Republicans in Congress, I am not seeing the play calls. They like complaining about the border. It's a, it's a great tactic. I mean, it's a 90-10 issue. Biden looks stupid and pathetic and subversive. But again, we're not here to win a political argument. We're here to save ourselves. Um, Crenshaw, so they put Dan Crenshaw in charge of the cartel task force. I wouldn't be surprised if he's bought out by the cartels. And also, the cartels are largely a distraction at this point. I'm not saying they're not a big problem, but right now, you do what I'm telling you, and you won't have illegal immigration. Okay? So you won't have it. Now, does it mean that the cartels don't pose a threat beyond that? No. But it's a much more manageable problem. So let's deal with that, and then we could talk about the cartels. Ultimately, I do believe we need a buffer zone, and that's something I've been pushing for a long time. I'm not going to say you need to create a 2,000-mile buffer zone. There's a lot of mountainous areas, but places like the RGV, which are flat and have a lot of uh, roads and highways leading up, it's a major smuggling route. That's where you need to create a buffer zone. You say, hey, hey, buddy, Mexico, are you with us or against us? Do you have control? Then control it. If you don't, I understand the cartels do. You don't have the strength, then we're going to do it. You... you there should not be an inch of American soil that is in peril because they're operating on our side. The margin of error needs to be on their side of the border. Um, 
so that's what that's one other thing I want to get to here. But first, our, our sponsor today is always Jace Medical. Um, look, the bottom line is most of our drugs are made in China. The bottom line is even if we do the right thing, there's going to be a period of disruption where we're in a quasi-cold war with them and we have to rebuild our own supply chains. You better get some life-saving drugs while you can. And that's why we've been pushing the Jace case from jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. You apply, fill out a questionnaire for a prescription. And so the next time the government does their gain-of-function thing and we need things like azithromycin that Dr. Zelenko first discovered worked against COVID on hand, and you're worried that, hey, you know, your doctor might say, screw you, or your pharmacist might say, I'm not filling the prescription, have it guaranteed to be there in a case of emergency or the Fourth Reich um, with Jace Medical. You put in enter code review at checkout. Make sure you, you know, fill out accurately your allergies. A lot of people are allergic to certain antibiotics, so they'll give you a call and then they'll work out sometimes a replacement if you're allergic to one of the five drugs that they have in there. So again, jacemedical.com, promo code review. Uh, Before we bring on our guest, there's just one thing I want to get off my chest. Jesse Kelly, um, you know, talk show host in Texas, he brought up a point that I agree with. I want to amplify and just clarify a little bit. He, he put out, how neutered is this nation that we even need something like Title 42 to help slow illegal immigration? We have to find loopholes from a fake pandemic or we're totally powerless to stop hordes of illegals from violating our sovereignty. Pathetic. And he's right. I made this point at the time in 2020. Um, I just want to remind people that this was so weak. Trump was like, the courts, I can't do anything. The, again, this invasion began in 2018, not under Biden. That is a fact. It was insane what was going on there. The hospitals, the families, um, because there was an element that was even worse. Obviously, the young males is more dangerous like you have now, but the families with the kids, it created such a problem at the border, and that was under Trump. And, and, And again, Everything with Trump is like Pfizer negative efficacy because he taunts the left as if he's going to kill them. So they respond as if their lives are in danger, as if their lives are on the line. So they double down politically to orchestrate caravans. And then he doesn't deliver. So then, you know, oh, great intentions, great intentions. Say it all you want, but results matter. And the outcome was worse than under Obama. It was only shut, so we kept using all these authorities. We kept saying, do 212F, you have the authority. Um, And ultimately, even Roberts uh, and the Supreme Court agreed with that. Um, 1182F, the plenary power of the president to shut down all forms of even legal immigration, uh, anything, travel, you name it. And Title 42 was the only thing we can get to resonate because he was a COVID fascist and believed in shutting down the country. So they're like, yeah, we should shut down illegal immigration too. So Jesse is right, but I just wanted you guys to know the background on that. I was instrumental at the time in pushing Title 42 um, as just a way to finally shut this down. But he's absolutely right. It's pathetic that it took that to do it. And that's the only thing that, and, and it didn't fully shut it down. And again, to be clear, Title 42 is a little bit of a distraction. Because we've had this insane invasion the entire time. 
It's just this is the next level to make it even worse. So it's another opportunity for us to use it to finally solve the problem. But, you know, it's like, oh, well, we'll have 400000 a month instead of, you know, 300000 a month. Either way, we're well beyond the historic records. So, you know, Republicans always like to glum on to, oh, Title 42. No, it's having a freaking border sovereignty in a country like any other nation state in the history. No other nation state allowed this. But his point is definitely well taken. Um, and and I just, again, to understand, we, we started off the week with Todd Benzman talking about the real-world um, effects of this in our communities. This is from News Central, or News Center, Maine. Leaders in Sanford are trying to figure out how to help and house the more than 200 asylum seekers that made their way to the city since the end of April. You can't get farther from the border, folks, than, than Maine. Sanford is, I want to say, maybe a town of 22,000 people. So you have 200 of them show up. During a meeting, Sanford City Manager Stephen Buck shared new information on why the people seeking asylum have come to the city and how. Um, and basically, they were dumped there from Portland. And th- this, is, this is what's happening. And I'm just going to tell you, the quality of mass migration we've had I'd say since 2014 is worse than anything we've ever had. A lot of the other ones were from Mexico, and they were ag workers. I'm not defending it, but they kind of cycled in and out. So you had a lot of border numbers every year, but you had out-migration as well. Starting in 2014 with the um, DACA stuff that created the UACs, the unaccompanied MS-13 punk teenagers, um, and then the family units in during Trump, and then now this— these people are largely staying. That's what I'm saying. This is really, really changing the character of America. And then, as we've noted, areas that haven't been transformed before. We, we all know about New York and Atlanta and Houston and L.A. and all of California and Phoenix. But all sorts of areas around the country that you could never imagine. And this story from Sanford, Maine is just another... Example, you know, kind of like they did in Lewiston, Maine, with the refugees. That wasn't from the border. But this is part of that social transformation without representation. They want to replace us, and they want to do this. And, and, that, and that really leads me to our next guest. So, folks, one of the things we've learned, certainly since COVID, is that when you have a sudden inflection point in the world, and the result of that inflection point is just too coincidentally auspicious for the left. Like, they get too many good things out of it. Then you start to wonder, wait a minute, this didn't just happen by accident. And obviously what we saw with COVID, they were enjoying it way too much. And, of course, it was orchestrated. So it's the same thing with the border. Yes, it is true that if you telegraph the message to the world that you could come here, a heck of a lot of people, two, three billion, would want to come. But it's not so simple. That's a pretty big operation to pull off. Mass migration to have a controlled flow, extracontinental, 
and then from Latin America to the Darien Gap in Panama, go, going up throughout Central America, strategically choke through certain points in Mexico when they turn on and off the spigot politically when they think it will be a good time to rush the border. That is orchestrated. And you, you better believe that the Biden administration has many allies throughout the world to make this happen. So I want to talk a little bit about this issue at the source level and the weaponization level. It's not, it's not, it's not a natural disaster like you have a hurricane. Man, there's, there's a crisis at the border. You turn on Fox News, you listen to these weird Republicans, and you would think it's some sort of a tornado or a flood, like something happened. No, it doesn't happen on its own. We have the weaponization of mass migration. Now, thank God we've had really a, a tremendous growth the last couple of years. So a lot of you don't remember... Uh, the last time we covered this issue is a lot of nostalgia. We're bringing back some old guests this week. And one of our best ones, and I know you're really going to like him, is Joseph Humeyer. He's executive director for the Center for Secure Free Society. He's also a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Um, he's our resident Latin America expert, uh, really understands the politics of all the countries in there what's going on, how they're working with the NGOs, how Biden administration ties into this, where this is coming from, what we need to do. Uh, he also served in the U.S. Marine Corps with a combat tour of duty in Iraq. He's got a really diverse uh, skill set there, and I'm telling you, he's going to be one of your n new favorite guests. Joseph, I can't believe it's been three, four years. Wow, welcome back. No, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for that kind of introduction, and and it's great to be back. And 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 no better time than now with all the chaos that's happening on the on the southern border. Well, as you mentioned, chaos, but it's managed, controlled chaos. Try to walk us through. You had for many years Mexican illegal immigration, so it was all it was all Mexico, um, ninety ninety five percent, and then that you know they kind of emptied Mexico out into the country. All right, then beginning in Obama's second term. It began with the Northern Triangle of Central America. We kind of emptied them out. And then now you have really Venezuela. You have those from Ecuador, Haiti for sure. But then you have Kyrgyzstan and, and more Chinese than ever. All over, This is extremely diverse. I think anyone will admit this is the d most diverse um, invasion we've seen. Why the change in country of origin, and where is that coming from? No, no, I think you've, you've covered it. Like it's, it's, it's basically um, been growing exponentially, both in terms of the volume and in terms of the nationalities that are represented. I mean, we, I think there's over 130 countries represented right now on the U.S. southern border, which just shows you the kind of diversity of, of how this migration has become weaponized. But, Dan, let, let me take you back, and this is something that we spoke about in the past, and maybe for some of your new listeners let me take you back to 2018, because that's really where this kind of border crisis really started to intensify. And that's uh, the Central American caravans. And, and this is kind of how I began to really wrap my head around this, because I was in Guatemala when that um, October 2018, when the caravans began to, to explode uh, and their forced march up to the U.S. southern border. And, I, and I'm going to skip all the details that we talked about before. But what I learned from that experience was two things. I learned first that there was an NGO infrastructure that was developed months and years in advance in Central America to attend to thousands of migrants, almost as if they anticipated that these uh, thousands of migrants were going to be traversing through these countries. Um, and among those NGOs, some of them are more humanitarian NGOs doing their mission, but others were politicized. And, and we pointed to one, we talked about this before, it was called Pueblo Sin Fronteras, 
and that in Spanish is, is, is that Spanish for people without borders. Now the name tells you everything in terms of mission. This was a Honduran NGO that was the main one that was catalyzing that Central American caravan from back in 2018. And um, they were founded by a former congressman from Honduras that's tied to a political party that's now in power through the president, uh, Guillermo Castro, but was financed by the Venezuelan regime. And that was the kicker. When I found out that there was uh, basically pallets of cash that were being sent from Venezuela to Honduras, to finance these caravans. And what they were doing was basically giving the money to these politicized NGOs to hold events at universities in the months leading to the, to the caravans, talking about migrant caravans. And what I found out was that there was an effort by Venezuela to essentially create an NGO network that would move mass migration to the U.S. southern border. Now, the thing was, it wasn't to get migrants into the United States, because if you remember Trump deployed the military and closed the border. And that's how that, that he, he dealt with it at the time. But it was really just to create enough chaos at the border to diminish capacity, because that's the key. If you can actually diminish capacity on a sovereign border, that allows the cartels and all the criminal apparatus to take over, because the, low, the less the state has an ability to control uh, its sovereign border, the more the other illicit actors being able to get more territorial control. And so that was essentially the first step in kicking off this uh, mass migration. And back then I said, you know, this is happening with Central America, the Northern Triangle, Honduras, Guatemala, Salvador, then that's nothing if it connects to the Venezuelan mass migration. Because at the time, the Venezuelan mass migration, which is the largest in the Western Hemisphere, and now the largest in the world, because it surpassed Syria as of last year, was mostly happening in South America. And the South American countries were being overwhelmed by Venezuelan migrants. That changed in 2021. In 2021, the Venezuelan mass migration, which is 7.2 million since 2014, began from moving south to moving north. And there's two key elements that made that possible. One was this, deploying this NGO infrastructure to the Darien Gap that previously was almost impossible to cross and would previously only cross dozens of migrants. is now crossing thousands and not tens of thousands of migrants. And the other were the flights, state-owned flights by state-owned airlines from Venezuela to Mexico to basically shuttle migrants through human smuggling facilitators onto the U.S. border. So there's a conscious effort by the Venezuelan regime and all of its allies in the region and outside the region to deploy migration to the, uh, to the U.S. southern border in a storm of weaponization. And, th and there's a concept behind this, Daniel. It's, it's called strategic engineered migration. It's not my concept. It's actually developed by professors and academics from Tufts University who basically define it as separate from organic migration that happens because of a myriad of reasons, natural disasters, socioeconomic grievances, whatever. But it's separate from that. And what it is, is when uh, mass migration is catalyzed, manipulated, and or induced by state and non-state actors to achieve political and geopolitical objectives through subversion and coercion. <laughs> and according to some of these, these, these uh, empirical studies, this has happened over 50 times in the last 60 years at smaller scale. And yep. I think what we're seeing on our U.S. on the borders at a mass scale that we've never seen before. So, I mean, you're describing an invasion. You know, a lot of people recoil at that term oh it's a bunch of you know just uh downtrodden people and again that that in itself is not true because there are a lot of problematic elements but aside from that it's not natural like you're saying it's um these pe people could be destitute but they didn't come on their own it is weaponized it's orchestrated and you're you're pointing the finger to the venezuelan government as to why venezuela seems to uh take up the lion's share of of this Wave, I want to get your thoughts on this a little bit more, but first, our, this interview is sponsored by our friends at Barrel Buddy. 
look, <laughs> with uh, all the security problems we have, criminals being released, foreign nationals crashing our border, uh, you better be prepared to defend yourself when you need to. Um, part of that is training. We talk about that. But part of that also, of being a responsible gun owner, is cleaning your gun. Stop being lazy. Barrel Buddy makes it simple, efficient, effective. They have these cartridges that fit perfectly, 360-degree pressure. Boom, you put it in. It gets out all the carbon. Um, then you could lube another cartridge, get a 360-degree straight application on there, done. It's you know, You're not dealing with all those um, cloths that, that disintegrate and get your hands dirty. Uh, it really makes it a much easier experience. I just cleaned my my last gun today with uh, Barrel Buddy this morning. Fifteen bucks for fifty Barrel Buddy cartridges. Just pick out your caliber there, whether it's nine mil, two two three for for rifle or forty five cal. They got it all. BarrelBuddy.com. Again, that's BarrelBuddy.com today. So Joseph, here here's what I don't get. Here's what I don't understand. We've never had a situation where a country wanted to be invaded, okay? I mean, that, that's what's unique about analyzing this, because typically the country on the recipient end would be pretty ticked off. How much, from what you can see, is the Biden administration's Venezuelan policy playing a role in this? That's a great point, because essentially what's happening with U.S.-Venezuelan relations, and this is kind of a complete 180-degree pivot from the Trump administration's policy, is to now embrace an autocratic regime and reintegrate them into the regional economy and to regional uh, affairs. And so basically what we're doing is we're legitimizing an autocracy, a dictatorship, one of the most brutal regimes in the Western Hemisphere that's tied to all the bad regimes in the world, China, Russia, Iran, and we're allowing them to gain power just for a short-sighted vision that we think that they're going to be able to come to some agreement on migration or on oil and gas or whatever the Biden administration is looking to do. But that's why, Daniel, I think a key part of this is actually subversion. because, And that's what actually what concerns me the most about the, what's happening on the southern border, because obviously there's going to be terrorist criminals that are going to come through, and that's happening, and that's proven now by the numbers. But what I'm most concerned about is subversive actors, and I'll explain what that is. That's not just your typical terrorist or your typical cartel. What that is is intelligence operatives or operatives that are tied to uh, governments that are uh, ad adept at being able to organize insurgencies. Uh, and this is what really concerns me because I feel like this is happening in a way that if we get into a conflict with uh, China or, or any of these big actors in the world stage, their best weapon against us is going to come from within. And I think that that's the, that's the element that Venezuela is very good at. And they've done this already. They did this to Colombia. And let, let me explain that process very quickly. And I call this actually the worst border in the Western Hemisphere. And everybody that's uh, concerned about the U.S. southern border needs to study what happened to the Colombia-Venezuelan border over the last mm -hmm. five or six years. Because it went through the same process. That mass migration that I was talking about, you know, the, the 7 million of Venezuelans, the most of that, the blunt of that went to Colombia. It was over 2 million uh, migrants that, that settled into Colombia that caused a big problem. And the president at the time of Colombia, a U.S. friendly president, Ivan Duque, he made a big mistake. He welcomed the migration instead of stopping it. And basically it was his downfall and the downfall of the country. Yep. And so that first step was the, the humanitarian crisis that induced the mass migration. Okay, that happened. And, and let's just uh, clarify that also by saying that this isn't like the Chavez and Maduro regime did this by, a by accident. They knew that socialist policies lead to suffrage in mass migration. So you can argue that they did this on purpose. So that happened. That was the first step. 
But what happened is that that diminished the border capacity of the Colombian military that was guarding the border. And so what happened is the, the illicit actors, in the case of Colombia's the FARC and the ELN, began to take more territorial control of the border. They eventually had a clash uh, over uh, cross-border drug trade, so they started fighting, cartel fighting among each other, which uh, takes the violence and the crime to unprecedented, untenable levels. I mean, you had hundreds of people getting murdered per day, and not just uh, the murders of civilians, but also police officers and military were getting killed and kidnapped along the Colombia-Venezuela border. So once that happens, then Maduro mobilizes his military to the border. The Colombian government mobilizes their military to the border, and they say that they need to work on something together to be able to stabilize the border. Uh, that's the introduction of the external actors, because what Maduro did was he was able to introduce Russian radar systems, the P-18 mobile radar systems that were sucking up all the communications of the Colombian Iranian-made surveillance drones, the Mahar-2 that would do low-level overflights because below 700 feet, it's not determined whose airspace that is, and they would fly into Colombian territory and suck up all the imaging. Uh, Chinese satellites, a satellite tracking station based out of Guadico, Venezuela, and a military base that was managing the telecommunications. So when I went to this border uh, on three occasions between 2021 and 2022, what I saw was great power competition manifesting itself on a border, disintegrating that sovereign control, and it not, no longer belongs to Venezuela or to Colombia. It belongs to Russia, China, and Iran. And that's what happened. And then what happens is that diminished and created so much chaos in the democratic country, which was Colombia, that they introduced a radical leftist president in the name of Gustavo Petro, a former terrorist, a former Mar a Marxist, that comes in. And now Colombia uh, is like Maduro. Yeah, yeah he, he has the same ideology as Maduro from Venezuela. And so now they come together and say, in the name of stabilizing our border, we're going to basically create binational commissions, meaning they're going to have military <laughs> of Venezuela in Colombia military of Colombia in Venezuela, and we're going to be able to create a sort of peace along our border. But what it really is is a criminalized peace where the cartels get impunity and the citizens get pushed out. And so that borders in name only. So that phase, that multi-step process, I call it the sovereign border disintegration process, already happened between Colombia and Venezuela. And guess what? Now, outside of Venezuela, that's the top uh, uh, nationality on our U.S. southern border, the second or third nationality, according to my source at CPB, is Colombia. Now all the Colombians are fleeing Colombia because of their disastrous Jeez. policies and going through our southern border. So I see this. And in this case, what we have to be very conscious of is what uh, the president of Mexico is going to be doing, because he's in that same ideological affinity as Maduro and Petro. And, 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 and I believe he can actually use this to his advantage if we have a weak U.S. president such as we do now. Yeah, weak is an understatement, but it's I, I get what you're saying is that in a typical kinetic warfare, uh, you know, traditional warfare so you soften the ground, the enemy forces with you know air assets. You bomb it, and then you come in and invade. But here they do it with asymmetric warfare. You soften it with this subversive migration, and then you start building up operatives cross culture. And that's really what we've had at the Mexican border in the RGV for many years. I mean, everyone knows you have these used car you know, businesses and lands that are controlled by the cartels. You have a lot of corrupt uh, Democrat officials in in many of these areas that forever the FBI has been investigating over the last two decades um, and, and finding them to be working with the cartels. Um, you know, and, and that's why we were laughing, you know, when they, they had this bill. We wanted to create this border force in Texas, the Texas government, state state government. Oh, you know, the border counties have to have signed off. And we're like, well, the border border counties have been colonized over the years. And that's we already have that to a large extent. Todd Benzman talked earlier this week about um, the colonization within America. And you start subverting 
So that really scares me when you painted that picture from Colombia. I want to move this over to extracontinental. So the biggest kind of Western hemisphere, like the you know Guatemala equivalent of what we saw five years ago is Venezuela. But then you have all over the world, and obviously the 800-pound gorilla in the room is China. Everyone I speak to, I haven't seen data from Texas DPS yet. Maybe you have. But but that they, they say that they've never seen this many Chinese. And here's my question to you. I don't understand. See, America is a free country. You could kind of leave whenever you want. But a place like that, you don't suddenly have an unnatural flow that the Chinese government doesn't know about. Take it from there. No, absolutely. Let me just say one thing really quick, Dan, to what you're saying, just to make it super clear. You know, the, the juxtaposed from conventional kinetic to this type of asymmetric warfare. Uh, and you're 100% right. Like, it, there's a saying in the, in, in, in the military, in the, in, in the Marines, which is that um, artillery conquers, but infantry occupies. That's conventional warfare. So you could substitute this with illegal migration conquers and Marxists occupy because this is a subversive, <laughs> asymmetric form of warfare. Uh, and that's what you do when you're a weaker military. You don't fight a stronger military through conventional means. But to your question about China, yes. So there's a business that I think that everyone needs to start uh, paying attention to because we're a lot of focus on the drug, the illicit drug trade, the cartels, and they're powerful and they're scary. We know about what's going on with, uh, you know, the Jalisco Nueva Generaciones and the Sinaloa cartel and everything. But there's a new business that I think is equal to the drug cartels, which is human smuggling. Human smuggling is becoming huge yeah. as a business. It doesn't have nearly the production costs that more, cocaine more money, and other More money drugs. than drugs. Yeah, exactly. More money. And so there's a, there's a term in the defense world that we use that's called human smuggling facilitators, which are basically uh, individuals and entities that move migrants from all around the world to points of destination. One of the most prominent, obviously, is the United States. And so just in 2020, this is during the year of the pandemic, according to U.S. Southern Command, there were 66 human smuggling facilitators that were arrested in Latin America. Each facilitator can, rev can generate illicit revenues up to $150 million. If you do the math, Daniel, 166 arrests of human smuggling facilitators at $150 million a pop, that's over $9 billion in illicit revenue. That's enough to change the local economies of the border states and border mm -hmm. regions. And these uh, human smuggling facilitators are the ones that are making buku money as to doing this. And now this is how I want to go to China because China is in the business of banking and brokers that facilitate both drug trafficking, money laundering, and human smuggling. Uh, Singapore is known as one of the major hubs of this kind of, it's like the Panama for the Indo-Pacific in terms of money laundering and kind of the, the convergence of illicit finance. And China's bankers and brokers are behind that. The same conversation that we have about fentanyl and how China's bankers and brokers are the ones facilitating the precursor chemicals to the Mexican drug cartels to push it through the border. You can make the same argument about the human smugglers. And, and what you said, I mean, there's nothing, there's no way you can access the Chinese banking system without the CCP knowing about it. And, and, and at the minimum, you could say they're having a permissive attitude towards it, but at, at probably a more realistic point of view is that they're enabling it. They're enabling it because this falls within their irrestricted warfare model of how to attack the United States. They don't favor a conventional conflict with the United States, even though that might, that might be where it goes. But they certainly favor the ability to have us submit from within. And I think that that's what's happening. The problem is our policymakers have been very slow to the quip to figure it out. You know, you know what resonates a lot with me, the way you're explaining it, is because I started with an observation this week that everything the Marxists have been doing in the West is geared towards depopulation. 
every last thing. Yeah, I mean, the climate green stuff is all about that. Cutting down the resources, the biomedical security state is all about that. They're open about that. And look, we're seeing record excess deaths, record um, plummeting of birth rates. I mean, that that's what you they want. You get the results. You know, literally one in four, one in four high school students, according to CDC, identifies as one of the alphabet soup thingamajigs that that won't lead to procreation. It's it's it, that's kind of a point people forget. You put it all together, that's what they want. But then on the other hand, there's this paradox where, you know, they're for mass migration of people that have a lot more kids than Native Americans do. So what gives? But I guess the way you're saying it is that, again, the the migration conquers and the Marxism, Marxism occupies that it's kind of a tool for that. They, they don't, in other words, they don't envision America as having a bunch of people having eight kids a day that it's somehow going to stay at that. No, what they envision is destroying the social fabric uh, of the United States, meaning that they want to change the, the essence of our identity and who we are, which you can see having some success at that, uh, especially once they penetrate the education system, as they've already have. Um, and so, like, the migrants aren't akin to a lot of this. The migrants are just people that don't know any better, and they're actually in desperate situations. And that's the thing about it. Like, when you're in a desperate situation, you're vulnerable. You're, yeah. By definition, you're vulnerable. And so you're oftentimes manipulated in some cases by these human smugglers, but at the high level, at the grand strategy level, by these external authoritarian actors that are weaponized you as a migrant to be able to attack their adversary, the United States. So if you ask the migrants, they're not going to know, they're not going to be able to articulate or elaborate this, but this is a strategy that we have to start thinking about because the levels that we're seeing on our southern border are untenable. I mean, I mean, I don't think anyone even envisioned these numbers. I mean, this is like, it, it's on average about 2,000 encounters per day, and that's already about three times the capacity of U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, but if you look at the numbers that are growing in 2023, we're looking at 10,000 encounters per day, but even 20,000 projected. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's not, that's not uh, at all sustainable. And what happens there is that you're going to have our border, border infrastructure collapse. And what happens when you have your border infrastructure collapse? especially under uh, a Biden administration, I can guarantee what they're going to do is they're going to turn to the international community. And that's the first major mistake in losing your sovereign borders. When you so, let international NGOs and other international multilaterals... Can you discuss the role of the UN in this? Yeah, so that's, that's one of the things. So I've visited a lot of these border crossings throughout the Western Hemisphere, you know, obviously both with our southern border. I was in Brownsville and in, in Matamoros uh, about a few months ago. Uh, obviously, I was in Central America, as I mentioned. I was at the Darien Gap uh, on, on different occasions, and obviously the Colombia-Venezuela border. And the consistent, um, you know, the, the thing can, most consistent that I see along all these border crosses is the president is the presence of the UN. And the UN has all these refugee and, and, and kind of migration programs to essentially incentivize the movement of mass migration. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to attend to migrants. So you certainly need to do some of that. But you, what you don't want to do is create the incentives that become so perverse that you're now attracting migrants, because this is the thing. The migrants aren't dumb. They're always going to find ways to game the system. And so when you say that, oh, we can have X amount of migrants uh, because we, we, our policies mandate that we have to attend to them, then they're going to multiply that by at least two or three because they're going to be able to game the system. And outside of just the U.N., I feel like there's other NGOs that beyond the um, – the, the, the migrant care aspect, they have political missions. They're there to create political narratives. 
I talked about Pueblos Inverteros, but there's others. I've seen them. And I'll give you an example, a story about one. I was at the Darien Gap about a few months ago. And, um, you know, we're looking at the migrants that are crossing. Actually, there were some Chinese migrants that were crossing at the time as well. And we were, we're you know, interested in looking at them. Um, and then one of the NGOs. You have Intel operatives among them. Oh, I mean, and that's the thing. They're all military age males. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you don't see a whole lot of women. It's all military age males from, from China, from, from Iran, from Venezuela that are coming across. And so as I'm, you know, looking at I'm, I'm, I'm being, uh, um, I'm, I'm joining the Panamanian Border uh, Security Services, which is called Centerfront, very professional border security service. And I nearly get uh, attached by one of these NGOs. She comes talking to me, and I think she kind of felt like maybe she could, you know, pull the wool over my eyes. She starts talking to me about how the Panamanian security are raping the migrants and doing all these uh, violations and everything. And I could tell she has an agenda. I mean, she's kind of just projecting to me this idea that border enforcement and border security mm-hmm. is a crime against humanity. And then so I'm sitting there listening to her, and I'm actually I'm not going to argue with her right there, but I'm you know, think, thinking to myself, how many people, how many migrants are they manipulating, indoctrinating in this sort of anti, my, anti-border enforcement perspective? And that's it's at the key like of the this. It's kind of like the international BLM equivalent, you know? Basically, yeah, it's basically that. It's basically an international BLM to say that anything that you do to establish sovereign control over your border or ordered migration – that that's somehow a, a violation against people's human rights. And that's not, not A, not legally viable, but also B, it creates the conditions so that even when people get across the border, they now think that they're, these are they're, they're like multinational citizens across two different <laughs> countries. And that's a very dangerous precedent to have inside the United States. Wow. That is, that is very scary. I want to bring another dimension here about China because to, to me, there's no way China is not orchestrating this. So I hear China has a tremendous amount of brokers and infrastructure in Quito, Ecuador. I know a part of the world that you're very familiar with where, where the laundering of the Chinese migrants begins. Each country has their own hub. And I'm just, I just wanted you to zoom out and give us a, a sense of the colonization of our own hemisphere. So while we've been pissing around in the Middle East playing footsies with Sunnis and Shias for, for 25 years, and then now we're spending, I don't even know what it's up to, $150 billion on Ukraine. So, and, and, we're, and we're always like, oh, China, Russia, uh, you know, like they, they rile everyone up. But isn't it true that China is just establishing in our own hemisphere so many bases of operation to do a lot of nefarious things, but among them the human smuggling? Yeah, it, it, for sure. I mean, China, the story of China's uh, growing influence in Latin America and the Caribbean is one of um, malign intent by the PRC and U.S. neglect, uh, because we allowed this, not only did we allow this to happen, in many respects, we enabled it. I'll give you one quick story from the economic perspective, because the largest multilateral lending institution for Latin America is a mini world bank called the Inter-American Development Bank. And in 2008, 2009, when we had the uh, financial crisis, that bank pretty much almost become bankrupt. Uh, there were a billion dollars in the red, and so they went to the U.S. to capitalize the bank. U.S. is 60% shareholder of the Inter-American Development Bank. We had other priorities, so we did not do that, and that opened the door for China. China came in as a minority, less than 2% shareholder. They must have paid no more than $10, 20000000 million to become a shareholder. But for the first time in the history of the Inter-American Development Bank, paid uh, what they called an entrance fee to come in, and you can guess what that was, close to a billion dollars. So they basically played an institutional kickback to a multilateral lending institution to basically coerce that institution, capture it, and since 2009, 
that uh, lending institution, Inter-American Development Bank, which is 60% owned by the U.S., has matched all our loans in Latin America with China's loans. So that may, means we're helping China grow in Latin America by doubling the amount of money that they're putting in. So the result is that China is now the top trade partner for half of the countries in the region, 14 out of the 33 sovereign nations, 9 out of the 12 in South America. South America is pretty much all gone to China, including Ecuador. And that gives China the economic leverage, the economic coercion to do these kind of asymmetric strategies when it comes to fentanyl, when it comes to migrants, when it comes mm. to all these other elements, illegal fishing. That's another one that they're using quite a bit in Latin America. To, and, and it's all among the it's, it's all along the lines of dismantling and disintegrating borders. Why? Let me take this a little bit to the 50,000 foot level. Why does China want to disintegrate the borders of the Western Hemisphere? Well, it has a lot to do with the international order. Because uh, it, China, if they're able to create new trade routes based on new infrastructure that they can develop over new sovereign territories, it allows them to change the global economy. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking at creating autocracies in Latin America that has new sense of trade and, and, and shipping that doesn't adhere to the north-south historic relationship between the United States, but a south-south global partnership that China's at the head of that allows them to have a dominant trade position in the world. And so this is essentially what the, the dismantling of the borders means, because it, 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 once you take away a border, then whatever treaty or trade agreement or whatever you have with that country is really no longer in effect because you're talking about a different territory. And so in that, uh, what I'm most concerned about in, is, is China's dual use infrastructure. They have over 40 port infrastructure projects in Latin America and the Caribbean and uh, 11 satellite ground stations in South America. This is dual use infrastructure because aside from the commercial applications, it has dual-use military applications, and many of those ports and many of those satellite ground stations are run by PLA cutout companies, meaning at any moment, China could send not just commercial tankers, but aircraft carriers to port at those. And so when everyone's talking about, like, the, you know, Taiwan and the chain of island nations, and like, what, what, they can't do that unless they have a destination. And that destination are strategic ports in Mexico, in Panama, in Peru, uh, to be able to have a destination for aircraft carriers or submarines or other military vessels that the Latin Americans are now obligated to receive. Great. So we own the sand dunes in the Middle East and now the biolabs in Ukraine while China just tightens the noose in our hemisphere. Um, and it all ties together. I mean, I think you did a great job with the fentanyl that everyone's talking about, the human trafficking, all that stuff. Um, it, it's not happening by accident. It's not a national disaster, a natural disaster. I want to just sew this all together before I let you go. And, and I think you, you've already said the answer to this, but why did the caravans begin in 2018 around then? You know, we, we've had illegal immigration, you know, kind of the way we look upon it, maybe for, for 70, 70, you know, post-World War II, since the 50s, the 60s. And it was kind of just surreptitious, you know, a bunch of people quietly just trying to get over the border. Um, but beginning in 2018 is when we saw this bold, open, public, you know, you didn't see imagery of 5,000 people at once. You never saw that throughout the years. We, we, the numbers added up to high numbers, but it, it was they would catch fives, tens, twenties. Why did that start then? So I, I believe it started because this was the acceleration of this basically global effort to weaken the sovereign border of the United States in an effort to kind of change international order. 
Um, 2018 obviously was two years before the pandemic, and this was at the end of 2018 in October. And and if the Trump administration didn't do the Remain in Mexico policy or the third country safe agreements, we would have had an explosion of migrants in 2019. They were able to get a handle on it uh, for the time being. But in 2020, what happened, what actually killed it was the pandemic, because that 2020 was set to be the largest rate on record. People uh, think this began in 2021, and that's why I say 2018. No, it began. It began. In, I was there. I mean, it was it was 180 Hondurans on October 12th that ballooned to over 8,000 by October 20th. That's eight days. Like that doesn't just happen organically. Like a bunch of Hondurans didn't just be like, "I don't like the food. Let's out of here." Like this, 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 is, this happened over months of time. That's where that Venezuelan financing came in because what they did was they helped uh, catalyze this by creating events all throughout Honduras for the months leading up to the movement of the caravans prior to October where the political actors were basically talking about how we have to have this mass movement, that border security is a crime against humanity. We need to move everybody to the U.S. southern border and that the borders open. So that was the main narrative that they were spilling at the time. And it was done by, like, for example, the former president of Honduras was doing a lot of these speeches, Mel Galaya, who, by the way, is the husband of the current president of Honduras, Ziomara Castro. So, you know, we're, we're kind of big trouble with that country right now. But uh, all that to say, uh, 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 Daniel, that um, this began because I look at this as a systematic way. So the, like, if you look at the caravans was a way to kind of basically raise what I call the hypocrisy costs of the United States, because democracies are vulnerable in that sense, because of the rhetorical commitments they have to liberal values to protect those that are fleeing violence and persecution. That creates a, a, a moral and a political paradigm that makes it difficult for you to enforce border security. And so that, the biggest thing about that caravans was the narrative that they were driving about having open borders. That was like the biggest thing that they were trying to do. They amplified that narrative. The media ran with it instead of understanding what was really at stake here. And I think actually, to their credit, the Trump administration tried to change the narrative, but they were like outgunned in 20 to 1. Um, But moving forward, like if you look at the pandemic, the pandemic then becomes uh, another shot to be able to uh, suppress global GDP, to raise up the instill fear, raise up the disinformation, and even the Russia war in Ukraine. Like, you know, everyone looks at the battle inside Ukraine, but what I look at is the rising cost of food insecurity because wheat and fertilizer come from Russia and Ukraine, 12% that's of the calories consumed worldwide. Yeah, that's what they want. It basically, they want it. So, like, you're basically what they're doing. Like, if you think about it from a, just a very simplistic way, like, you can only project power one of two ways. You either grow or you suppress the rest. And China and Russia are done growing. So what they're doing is suppressing the rest. And migration is one of the ways that you can do that. Uh, and I think that they're, I'm not saying that uh, in this specific instance, Russia and China are directly involved, but they're definitely capitalizing on it. In Latin America, the one, the nation state that we've looked at, that we're going to have a report really soon about this, that I, I believe is behind a lot of this mass migration, is Venezuela. Wow, that's that's ground zero. So much to think about. Wow, that was a lot to pack in. I really appreciate it. I, I just remember the good times we had in the old days, and I really want to have you back again. Where could people find out more about your work and follow you online? Yeah, so we have this report about the Central American Caravans on our website called securitysociety.org. It's called Central American Caravans. And we're going to have a new report that will be published very soon, hopefully this month, if not next month, called Weaponized Migration that's going to talk about how Venezuela has weaponized mass migration to the U.S. southern border. Uh, that'll also be available on our website, Secure Free Society, or you can follow me on Twitter, J.M. Meyer. J.M. Meyer, Secure Free Society. Great work. We're going to have you back very, very soon. Folks, you can email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.